a faith where there's no strategy. There's no plan. The Lord is saying, only believe. Run the race that God has marked out for you. Pray big prayers. Believe big. And I, I, I just been so inspired in my faith to tell our church to stop believing God for regular things. When you pray, you should be asking for things that without God, they cannot happen. Because I can tell what God's going to do for you by what he's done to you. Even if you're failing, but you're failing by faith, keep on the path that you know God has marked out for you. Shout out your praise and joy. 
Join in with creation. Sing, sing, sing.
that God is with us in this room. When we join together, God is sure to be with us. It's a beautiful and powerful thing. It also says in God's word that where he is, where his presence is, there is freedom. Do you believe that today, that where God is, there is freedom? Come on, can we let our faith just rise for a moment today? I believe, and we believe, we're going to sing these lines together, that there's freedom in his presence. There is hope and there is fullness of joy. And whether you're in a place where you can testify to say, yeah, I've got those things, or you're in a place to say, God, I need those things right now. We can sing these things with a confidence today that he is in this room, his presence is in this room. So would you do me a favor today, as we sing these next words, would you lift your voice and sing them loud with confidence? As we sing these next words, would you lift your voice? As we sing these words, would you let, your, let these words rise out from your heart? Not just words on a screen, not just Sunday to Sunday routine, but there is truly freedom in the presence of our living Savior. Come on, do you believe it today? Come on, do you believe it today? Let's sing it today with a confidence that there is freedom in his presence. There is hope. There is fullness of joy. Come on, every voice, if you can, sing with us. There's freedom here in your presence. There's hope and fullness of joy. There's freedom here in your presence. It's in your presence. It's in your presence. I'm trading morning for dancing. And I'm trading.
Why don't you put your hand on somebody's shoulder and just begin to pray for them. Just begin to pray blessing over them. Begin to pray encouragement over them. Pray for somebody else. Somebody's feeling anxious today. Somebody needs healing. Somebody's afraid. Somebody's disappointed. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. one more thing some of us think that uh, prayer is the things that we tell God uh, but prayer is a conversation with someone we have a relationship with and all good conversations typically two people get to talk so oftentimes our prayers uh, are limited because they're not really a prayer life it's a monologue life where we give God our monologue and we hope that he responds to it but oftentimes prayer can happen in stillness where you sit and you wait on God and you wait for God to tell you something. So we're going to take a moment here and 
We're going to wait on the Lord. God might tell you you're awesome and he loves you. If you already know that, he might tell you, hey, we need to work on some stuff. But whatever he tells you, uh, be careful. Because when God talks, the enemy talks too. It's never, I'm sick of you. It's never, um, even if it's correction, you just get so overwhelmed with love that God would show you that. It's kind of like uh, you're on, you're, your kid is on a basketball court. And out of nowhere, Michael Jordan jumps out of a car and says, hey, we got to adjust that jump shot a little bit. That would be such an honor that Michael Jordan would take time out of his day to correct your son. You would feel privileged. This is the God of the universe. So if God gives you a corrective word, um, it's not like other people who come with judgment. God's correction is an act of love. And it's like God coming out of the heavens right here to tell you, hey, let's work on that in, in your life. So I want you to close your eyes and take a couple of moments with God this morning. And that's prayer too, stillness before the Lord. this before but I think we're supposed to can you um pass me another microphone anybody got something that they feel like God showed them that they want to share now hold on before you do that no you're gonna pass it to somebody raise your hand before I ask this though uh can you do me a favor as your pastor don't make me regret this uh when you share something publicly um it's for the encouragement of other believers in the room uh if you saw Jesus in a gold robe with chapstick on and uh, and he was gliding on a surfboard and 
you know, a shrimp came out of the ocean and shrimp's supposed to be on the bottom, but now the shrimp was on the top and that means that everybody about to make some money. That, keep that one to yourself. Whenever we have public sharing, the reason why pastors stopped doing this is because when people would open their mouth, it wasn't for the people. It was to be seen or heard or whatever. So, um, but the Bible says that these moments are actually biblical where, where someone gets to share besides the pastor. Um, what they've heard from God. So my only request is don't make me regret this. No pressure. Anybody have something that they feel like they want to share? Go ahead. Short and sweet, because I want a couple people to share. Um, hi, everyone. Um, so when I was standing here, the Lord was telling me to tell my people to breathe, tell my people to relax. Yeah. He said, I have it. He said, yes. the biggest thing that you can think of right now I'm already in that moment. I'm already, I've already, thank you, Lord Jesus. I've already resolved it. So whatever you're thinking about right now, whatever that is, he said, relax, I have it. He's like, I got it, I got it, I got it. I just keep hearing, I got it, I got it, I got Come it. On, you better There's praise favor God. over thank it. Thank you, Lord. His favor is over it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. His favor is over it. Anybody else? Ma, come on, we got it. My, my man right here, right here. And then to the back right there, Mark. Come on. Uh, God gave me this uh, last night in my sleep. Well, while I was resting, He said, uh, "Faith is a weapon. Knowledge is a bullet, and your tongue is the trigger." Okay, come on, brother. Sheesh. Came with the analogy. All right, uh, what? Two more, two more. My brother, I've been in our church for years. Thank you, brother. I have just two words: stand strong. Amen. Short and sweet. Stand strong. All right, one more. Somebody else. One more. One more. Last one. Last one. Right here. Right here in the front. Right here in the front. Um, I have a purpose to live. He, I made for special education to serve everyone who is who have a disability. They are all special and they all have special challenges. Oh That's why God. I'm here today. Oh my God, everybody who has a disability has special time. Y'all better praise God louder than that. I, that is so bold and powerful. Amen, I feel like preaching now. Girl, you done brought the anointing. My God. I'm gonna start crying. Y'all better bring this thing up here. Hey, why don't you high five someone and then go ahead and have a seat. High five someone and go ahead and have a seat. beautiful. Anybody excited to be in the house of God? Make some noise. Um, we are in week four of Made uh, for this, and I am so excited. We, if, you've been, if you're new to our church, first of all, I'm glad you are here. If you are watching online, I'm glad you are here as well. Can we uh, shout out to those watching online? Join us online. We're live, not pre-recorded anymore, so that's awesome. And also want to thank everybody who's really jumped in and, and texted the made for this uh, phone number saying, hey, I'm in. I want to be a part of what God's doing at Oasis. Many of you have already been serving. Uh, clearly, uh, you guys have been giving. That has been a huge encouragement 
Um, because when people give, it allows the pastor to be a real pastor, not a politician or a CEO trying to figure out how to keep the church going. So th you, it means the world to me that people in this church give consistently, regularly, people tithe. I just want to let you know, I know it means something to God, but it means something to me because it lifts the pressure off of my shoulders. The biggest pressure on my pastor was a financial burden because he didn't want to put pressure on people to give. And just something has happened recently in the last three months where this spirit of generosity has hit our church in a, in a special way. Um, even for us, my wife and I celebrated 11 years married yesterday. And if you love anything about me, it's because my wife holds me down, holds our kids down, and I couldn't do any of this without her, and so I love you so much. Uh, honey, you are amazing. 11 years of pure bliss being married to me. Great. Um, what else did I want to say? Made for this. We're believing for a harvest. We're believing for favor. And I believe in order to be ready for this favor, we're going to experience a harvest in three areas. A harvest of righteousness. I've been talking about righteousness the last few weeks. A harvest of souls. People are going to be saved. And, and a harvest of increase. Increase meaning wisdom, influence, and finances. Uh, you don't want an increase in finances without a an increase in wisdom. <laughs> Let me just tell you that uh, because God will give you wisdom first and then give you uh, finances. And so if you are believing and you're struggling with finances, I want you to ask yourself this simple question, how much wisdom have you displayed in the area of finances? And can I give you another challenge? Um, this is something I challenge our leadership group on a Tuesday night. If you own a Louis Vuitton bag and you have less than $200 in your savings account, get rid of it. Amen? Sell it. If your car payment is $800 a month and when you go to the gas station, you say, give me $8 on pump eight, let's go ahead and downsize. Let's go ahead and downsize, get the Corolla. I know the Tesla looks nice, but no, we gotta live in wisdom. And it doesn't mean that God wants, some people think wisdom is, is less. No, wisdom is just wisdom. Some people it's wise to, to buy a house in the hills. Some people, you, you know, you have a Range Rover and you up there in Pacoima, you know, just chilling. I'm like, it's, it's not where you live, it's not how you move. It's like, are you doing something to be seen? Did you post about it? You ever see that person that puts the Bible journal on the Mercedes emblem of their car just in my word, going in my car, going through my word? Why you got to show the emblem in the car on the Bible? Sometimes we just do that. You know, I've done it myself where, you know, there will be a celebrity who will get an accomplishment and I'll post it in my story. So proud of such and such. And I'm not, I could text them. I just want y'all to know I know them. We are... Come on, we all, come on, can we, am I the only one who's like wants to be seen? So it's just like sometimes wisdom is like, no, nah, I'm not going to, you know, post that. And, and m many of you in this room would not know who I know because I don't post about who I know. But I know some people, but I don't post about who I know. And at the end um, of my ministry, I'm going to get up here. I might just bring up some homies from San Bernardino. And put on the screen every celebrity I've ever met and then like drop the mic and then retire and just floss on all, flex on everybody in the room. But in the meantime, it's like we have to prepare our hearts for increase by not needing people to know how we're doing. Like we never book, uh, we never uh, post 
uh, didn't get it. Didn't get the audition. We never post car broke down on the freeway. You know, like we, it's, you know, we, I get it, man. You got the new house, got the new thing. Hashtag blessed. I, I get it, you know, um, but I'm saying sometimes preparing for increase is the Bible says that we are to seek to live a quiet and, and peaceable life. We're not supposed to be flexing on, on people. We're supposed to be, you know, I'm, I, I uh, really wanted a Jaguar. I really wanted a Jaguar. And the Lord was like, do you need a Jaguar? This Volkswagen looks just like the Jaguar. I was like, but it's a Volkswagen. She said, get the Volkswagen, man. It was just this thing that like, do, I'm, do I need this not, not do I want them. Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you only need to eat bread, food, and water. I'm talking about is what I'm purchasing to make me look like I'm something more to people. That's actually a poverty mindset. It's actually a poverty mindset to, to show it off. And I, I can be a, a show off myself. And so what I'm challenging us is in these things is not, hey, I want you to be, um, uh, you know, feel guilty, but most really, really, I'm not talking about rich. I'm not talking about rapper rich. I'm talking about most wealthy people. You would not know they are wealthy. They're not on Instagram talking about fit check. No, <laughs> you ever see a billionaire do a fit check? <laughs> Have you ever seen a billionaire do a fit check? You will never see a billionaire do a fit check because they got too much money. Like they stock check. I don't know what they would post. But billionaires don't show their stuff up on Instagram. So I'm saying there's something about that mentality of not showing off that would lend itself to wealth. Because some of the richest people I know, when I found out they have money, I'm like, oh, my God. And that, you, you still wearing Dockers? Like, or you, like, it's not fashion thing. I'm talking about real, real money. So all I'm saying is don't think about what you want. Think about the preparation. Think about the preparation. Focus on the preparation, not the desire itself. What are you going to have to do to prepare for that? And that's really what this Made for This series is all about. And so we're going to jump in, and I'm gonna, I feel this, this uh, leading to continue to talk about righteousness uh, because there are some dangers happening in the church today that I, I want us to be aware of. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. And this is the right of Paul. Paul's in an interesting situation in the church of Galatia because the, the gospel has swept across this region. Um, and then Paul, because he didn't have the internet, nobody could watch online. Are you, are you grateful for the internet? That's, this is awesome. So Paul couldn't text anybody. He couldn't post anything. He couldn't have people viewing him online. So how Paul would move is he would go to the church at Ephesus and he would preach the gospel. They'd all get saved. And then he'd have to move over to the church of Galatia and he'd preach the gospel. They all get saved. Then he'd have to go to the church of Philippi, preach the gospel. They all get saved. And, and just like any pastor, he would come and after he would leave Galatia, uh, some other religious leaders, not culture, by the way. In, in, in Galatia, he wasn't dealing with culture. And one of the things that probably is my pet peeve right now is how much pastors talk about culture. I really had to do a work in my heart. The, the, our enemy is not culture. It's never been. Culture didn't kill Jesus. Religious people killed Jesus. Like, I, it, it's, I just cannot stand. Like, can I just vent a little bit? I cannot stand. It wasn't someone who was a part of this community. It wasn't someone in culture. It wasn't a Democrat that killed Jesus. It, the church killed Jesus at that time. The temple leaders killed Jesus. 
and, and God's been telling me that if, 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 if the more I become like Jesus, the more I'll make church leaders mad, not culture. Culture loved them. Religious leaders hated them. So this is the thing where Galatia, Paul has preached the gospel and he's left them in the hands of church leaders. And now he's writing a letter to the church of Galatia. And he's not saying, hey, you've let culture weave their way into your system of thinking. No, it was the religious leaders came in saying, yeah, I know you're saved by grace, but anybody know any Christians like that? I know you're saved by grace, but you're not doing this thing here. So are you really saved? Because you have this thing in your life that if you don't get rid of it, like Jesus' blood can cover lies, but not that. So we're going to have to get rid of that in order for you to be. And you know what was crazy about it? is it wasn't to come to the church building. People were doing this because they refused to eat or socialize with you. I remember hearing this one story, don't know if it's true, but it's, it's great. Uh, this pastor told, told the story of a, of a, of a, a girl who, who uh, put on a skimpy outfit and partied all night into the club. She was partying, you know, did a little, you know, smoked a little something, drank a little something, did a little something. And then came, woke up in the morning and decided, you know what? I need to come to church. And she went to church in the same outfit she went to the club. She walked down in the front of the church with her little mini skirt. And the pastor noticed her sitting there. It was a little small church where the pastor would shake hands with everybody on the way out the door. And so the pastor starts uh, shaking hands. And the girl with the mini skirt comes up, shakes his hand. And he says, excuse me, young lady. And she said, yes, before you come back to this church, you need to pray and ask God what he would have you wear when you show up to church. Oh, snap. And so she got so discouraged, she put her head down. She was so embarrassed. She just wanted to come and meet with God. So the next week, she comes back in a similar outfit, <laughs> mini skirt. This time, she had a halter top on, makeup on. She came, sat down in the front row, and the pastor saw her. The pastor got real irritated. So on the way out the door, he said, as he was shaking hands, he saw the girl and he said, I thought I told you to pray and ask God what you should wear to this church. And she said, I did ask God what I should wear to this church. And he said, well, what did God say? She said, God said, I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> Whoa. God is not in religion. God is not in the law. The Bible says the law brings death. Whenever we put our expectations on other people, we produce spiritual death in their lives, and God is never involved. He's never involved. And Paul's in this situation where he's dealing with people who have been saved, and now religious leaders are going to say, yeah, that, but this. You also have to be circumcised. You also have to do this. You also have to do that. And Paul corrects them in verse 15, Galatians chapter 2, where he says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, that means anyone who wasn't from the original Jewish faith, um, so if you're not from the 12 tribes of Israel, you are a Gentile in this room, um, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, meaning that there's no, nothing you can do that's even God's perfect and holy law that makes God go, man, you're awesome. There's nothing you can do that makes God say that. 
It's what Christ did that makes God say that. This is the key. God says you're awesome, but he's not saying that because of what you're doing. He's saying that because of what Christ did. And no one can stand before God awesome in their own strength by doing the right thing. That's why it's so important for you to understand that Christianity is the only religion that doesn't put pressure on people to do the right thing. Can I say that? It is the only religion that righteousness comes by belief, not by behavior. If you want to have righteousness come by behavior, Christianity is the worst religion because it says it's impossible. Buddhism thinks it's possible. Muslim thinks it's possible. Almost every other religion believes that you can get yourself to a place of self-righteousness in order to please God. If you are going to be self-righteous, you have picked the worst religion. Can I just tell you there's other religions that are better than Christianity if you don't believe in grace? I mean, that, that's true. If you don't believe in grace and you don't receive grace and you don't believe you're saved by faith, this is not the best religion. If you want a religion where it's on you and you got to do all the right things and you got to make it happen and you got to please God, I can give you a bunch of religious temples to go to. You might as well go to the psychic. You might as well smoke. You might. As, but if you're not, if you're going to be with Jesus, Jesus says, let me do that for you. There is no greater pride than self-righteousness. People are not rejecting Jesus because they want to sin. Most people who reject Jesus would call themselves spiritual. Think about how many people you know live a spiritual, live a sinful life. None of these people are atheists for the most part. These people believe in something. Like they won't believe in Jesus, but they'll burn sage to get rid of evil spirits in their apartment and they don't understand the evil spirits are there because you keep putting the key in the door. <laughs> Who else? Don't nobody else live there but you. <laughs> Do you know that the Bible, when, 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 when church leaders were sleeping with prostitutes, the, the Bible didn't say that Paul said, ew, that's nasty. He said, don't you know you become one with that? Some of you don't have anxiety. You slept with someone who's anxious. Some of you don't have an anger problem. You were with someone who has an anger problem. And then you got angry. My ex had an anger problem. And I was yelling and cussing. I'm not an angry man, but I was then. Because you become one with who you... All right. So then what happens is we go, okay, got it, Pastor Julian. Uh, I'm not supposed to sleep in anybody. Okay, cool. You know the worst things the church invented ever? Purity rings. If you, where we take 13-year-old girls and we make them promise they're not going to have sex. And we make them make a vow to God. Put on a purity ring. You, you promise that on your own, you're going to have the discipline to not do it. You know, you need the Holy Ghost. Anybody know they need the Holy Ghost? Or not? Anybody know they need the Holy Ghost? So we take these 13-year-olds and we give them purity rings. And in L.A., where, every, where men want to be rappers and musicians, you don't even get married until you're 35. But in the Bible, they got married at 14. 
So from the moment you had that feeling, you were married within a year. Now, people are 35. Lord. <laughs> Gonna put on some weight, can't get the ring off without lotion. And you still wearing the purity ring, can't get it off without lotion, just. And then you, you know how many girls fell and had sex and then felt condemned? Because someone put them in the presence of God and had them make a vow, not pray for them to be filled with the Spirit, had them make a vow in their flesh. When the Bible says that Abraham in the beginning, when there was this vow between God and Abraham, I've shared this before, they would, they would cut an animal in half and each person had to walk traipse through the blood symbolizing this is the part you're going to do, and this is the part I'm going to do. He told Abraham, if you and your family obey me, I will bless you forever. And he cut an animal in half. There was blood everywhere. And, and, and Abraham was supposed to walk through the blood, and God would walk through the blood, symbolizing you have to keep your part. But the Bible says that when God cut the animal in half, when Abraham got up to walk through the pieces, God put him in a sleep. And when Abraham woke up, a flaming torch was passing through the pieces. So God walked through the pieces and then sent a flaming torch representing God himself to go through the pieces, meaning that if Abraham doesn't do his part, someone has to die. So God went through the pieces, fulfilling Abraham's part. So when Abraham did mess up, which he did, guess who had to die? God himself. So he sent Jesus to fulfill the empty promise of Abraham. There's no other religion that says this. So if, if you feel when I just said that, oh man, I did this, let me stop. No, 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 no. You can't stop. When we talk about going from glory to glory, that's not going from Ralph's to Whole Foods. That's not going from a Corolla to a Tesla. The Bible talks about when the law came, when you understood that you're doing something wrong, when the law came, it came with such a glory that Moses couldn't show his face. But now a greater glory, driven by faith in Christ. So glory to glory in the Bible means going from the understanding that you're doing something wrong to Christ changing it in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's glory to glory. So if you know it's wrong, welcome to glory. When you fix it, it's not a bad thing becoming good. It's glory going to glory. You actually are aware that it's a problem? You're actually aware that your internet history is a problem? You're actually aware that your pride is a problem? God goes, self-awareness is glory. Y'all know someone who's not self-aware? So the self-awareness is glory. The self-righteousness is demonic. Do you know how tempting it is to be self-aware but not want to fix it? It's so hard. I have this issue, Lord. He's like, I know. You know what I've experienced in my life? God will never fix something about me that makes me think I'm a better Christian. Some of y'all don't pray in tongues because God won't give you the gift because you'll think you're more spiritual. Some of you still have that habit or that temptation because God knows you'll think you're righteous. If he, he wants you to receive righteousness while you still have that issue. And then when you receive righteousness, he'll teach you how to reign over sin. Wow. But, if, but he won't let you get rid of it if you think it makes you better. 
Because if you think it makes you better, then the first thing you do when you finally figure it out is you expect that thing from other people. You're organized, you got to be organized. You pray, somebody else needs to pray. You read your Bible every day, y'all don't read your word. Come on, man. Self-righteousness is this thing that was taking place in Galatians. And he says, we're not justified. We're not, we don't stand before God righteous because of what we did. And verse 16 says, but this happens by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. Because the, by the works of the law, no one, someone say no one, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we, find, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would really be a lawbreaker. Man, this is a good word. So, so sin, God's not worried about sin and culture. He's not worried about that right now. He's worried about sin in the church. Hey, don't rebuild what I destroyed. I, sent, I saved you from your old life. I saved you from sin, which means all of your sin is gone. I destroyed it. The cross destroyed your sin. It's gone. All Christ is saying to believers is don't rebuild it. If, if, if you were to build a house that was condemned and the approved and someone knocked it down and gave you a brand new house that was perfect, would you knock that house down and rebuild the one that? No, he's saying, I, I got rid of that. Don't rebuild it. Don't rebuild what I got rid of. If, if I sent Jesus out of heaven to get rid of something in your life, don't you think it's important that it's gone? I, I don't even need you to be perfect. I just need you to think it's important that it's gone. If I died for it and I didn't do anything wrong, I think it's pretty important that it stays gone. So he's saying, don't rebuild what I removed. I got rid of it. It says, but for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. You know, how this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Can I just say that Galatians 2 chapter of verse 19? I died to the law so that I might live for God. People go on fitness journeys because they don't like what they see in the mirror. That's the law. I want to live. I want to live for God. I want to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to have energy. I want to be like, it has to come from this place, not of condemnation, but of life. Like, oh man, I, I got trapped into the law in, in, in my marriage where I didn't, I wasn't doing anything because I love Christina. I was doing it because I had this law. This is what a good husband's supposed to do. And sometimes the law was, if I don't do this, she's going to complain. And so let me do this because I don't want to hear a complaint. That's the law. And eventually, the more I did it, the more resentful I became towards a person who wasn't really even asking me to do it. I just put in this law instead of going, I know my wife is going to be blessed if I do this. That's how. And then when I do it, and she's blessed, it builds our relationship. In the same way with God, if you think there's a law, God's gonna be mad if I don't do this. My pastor's gonna be mad if I don't do this. This person, then you do it, you'll eventually resent God and he's not even asking you to do it. I moved to LA, God, for you. God's like, 
what are you talking about? You wanted to move to LA? And I said, okay. Oh my God, I can't believe I can't pay my rent. God, I'm a tither. Well, no one says that. That's actually tithing by faith. When you're tithing under the law, you actually start to believe that God owes you something and you be start to become self-righteous and then you don't give it all above your tithe ever. You tithe 10%, but you won't even buy someone a cup of coffee. And then the person who's not tithing you, like, I can't believe you don't tithe. But they're opening up their home. They love people, but they don't give 10%, so they're not right with God. And I, I'm, I give 10%. Yeah, but you're mean. And everybody hates you. Like, like, I don't think ugly people should do purity conferences. This is my opinion. And I'll start with me. I'm not doing a purity conference. I've never struggled with that. It was bad. But I remember I met this one person who said that they were a virgin and he was so handsome. I was so impressed. How you doing it, brother? Y'all be real, it's not as impressive if I say it. This brother was handsome. Had lips like LL Cool J, just beautiful man. He said, I'm a virgin. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? Yeah, man, the Lord's just been convicting me my whole life, bro. I'm like, why? <laughs> I told people I was a virgin when I was a teenager. Someone was like, I get it. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? That's what I thought. What? So I'm saying, and I say that as a joke, but what I'm saying is, what I'm trying to explain to you is that, that it doesn't, it, 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 it matters if it's actually Christ doing that, yeah. not discipline. Oh, this is good stuff. So good. Not discipline. For the law, I died to the law so that I might live for Christ. Paul would say this later in Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish after beginning your journey? He's talking about your journey with Jesus by means of the spirit. Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? This started with the Holy Spirit. This started with the spirit of God. And now you're trying to use self-discipline, your flesh, your own will. No, no, no. This is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you can't even say Jesus is Jesus. The Bible says you cannot confess the name of Jesus except by the Holy Spirit. So you would need the Holy Spirit to even engage Jesus as God. So why do we keep telling culture that they need to follow godly laws? They don't have the Holy Spirit. We're trying to start something in the flesh and hope it finishes in the spirit. When the Bible says it has to start in the spirit and finish in the spirit. God is the alpha and the omega. We can't go, well, we just need some godly laws, so at least it'll temper it a little bit. And then maybe they'll see by following the godly laws, they really need the Holy Spirit. No, it doesn't work. The Bible says the law brings death. The law brings death. There are two things in the Bible that bring death. Sin and the law. Sin is unrighteous and the law is holy and they both make you end up in the same place, spiritually dead. Isn't that weird? People hold up the Bible. 
you got to read the Bible. Without the, Bi- without the Holy Spirit, the Bible's a book. The Bible says it's a sword of the spirit. Swords defend, swords kill and cut. We have people waving swords on, on Instagram stories to people that don't have the Holy Spirit and they're killing people. Oh my God, this is good stuff. Can I read you another scripture? Genesis 127. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Can you write something down and memorize it for everybody who says, we need to be discipling people. We need to be discipleship, discipleship, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Yes, we do. But I want you to write this down so you can, we all be on the same page. We must understand that all healthy discipleship, all true righteousness, and all true godliness is a result of God's divine creativity. It's not a result of church leadership. It's God created man in his image. He created man in his image. Can I show you a picture? That, um, it's a picture that a little kid made. You up there and put it on the screen. What do you think about that picture? Huh? Who said abstract? She said abstract. You know why she said that? Because if a little kid did it. But if I did that, and told you I was trying to be a professional artist, you would go, mmm, I would stick to preaching. Can I ask you a question? If my kid, Dallas, let's say he was four years old, brought you that picture and asked you what you thought, is it righteous to be bold and tell him the truth? Honestly, Dallas, the picture's not that good. I don't know what it is. There's smear marks everywhere. And I said, what are you doing? He's, 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 he's a kid. He's four. Well, we need to be bold. We need to tell the truth. I'm telling the truth to your kid because he needs to know the truth. The truth is that picture is not where it needs to be. When the reality is, when we say the picture is good, it's that we're trying to get the kid to keep drawing. And if somebody would just tell him it was good, he might keep drawing. He might come up with a masterpiece later because somebody had the grace when he was. That's why it says when you put your faith in Jesus, you're born again. Christians, religious people, if you don't have the grace to call someone's picture ugly, then you don't understand they're a child of God. Oh, this is good preaching this morning. Do you have enough grace for someone to go, how am I doing? Good. (laughs) And you're not enabling them. You know how young in the faith they are. You're born again, which means you start off in the spirit. So what happens is when we're in our flesh and we see a man saved who's 35, we go, you should be further along. But if he's 35 in flesh years, he could be six months in spirit years. He's a baby. See? That was an amen. Don't tell me. Out of the mouth of babes, somebody shout amen and give God some praise up in here. Shout me down, baby girl. Shout me down. Do you see what I'm saying? So what I'm looking at you is, uh, if it's me, and you know I've been following the Lord for 20 years, then I have people in my life holding me accountable. 
But, but six-month-old babies don't need accountability. They need love. So as a parent, one of the hardest things we have to do as parents is time accountability. At what age do we start holding kids accountable? We start holding them accountable for what we've taught them through relationship. But if they don't understand what we've taught them, we can't hold them accountable. When I started holding my kids accountable was when I taught you how to do that. But a six-month-old baby? I'm just going to clean up after you. I remember when Bailey was uh, two years old, she took every single book off the shelf in our little bookcase, every single one, maybe two and a half. And she comes, sits down on the couch. And she sits down next to me. Every book's on the floor. I said, baby, you got to put those books back. She's like, I need help. (laughs) I need help. I said, baby, you didn't need help taking them down. Why do you need help cleaning them up? And I felt like the Lord said, get up and help her clean up the books. Because she needs to know that's what I do. I didn't have anything to do with them messing up their life. But I'll help them clean it up. Now at 10, girl, you better get in there and clean them books up. <laughs> at 10, you see two books come off the shelf. you like, read the first one before you... But not at two months. It's like, oh, that's so cute. You know, you're just taking the books off the shelf. Think about how we talk to babies when they make a mess. I see some of y'all parents changing your baby poo-poo diaper. Ooh, somebody made a big one. Just a blowout, just nasty. Whoa, somebody made a big poo-poo. Ain't ever done that? Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? I believe that God is in heaven watching someone in the club smoking and drinking, ruining their life, but he knows they're new and go, somebody made a big boo-boo as he's helping them clean it up. The reason why this isn't happening is because we have too many religious politicians and not enough dads. Dads know how to do that. Moms know how to do that. This is why maturity is so huge. So the moms and dads of the church know how to deal with the kids of the church. Oh, my God, man. I, gotta keep going. I can't say it again because I just, I'm out of time. <laughs> so God's divine creativity created Adam and Eve to be righteous. So righteousness is a byproduct of God's creativity. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. And that word creation literally means created out of nothing. So if God created righteousness in you, when it says the Bible says that you're a new creation, it means created out of nothing. Which means if you helped him at all, it wasn't him. In order for it to be God, you would have had to give him nothing to work with. Anybody trying to give God something to work with? Creation means something out of nothing. So all God needs to work with is nothing. God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, but when he created you, the Bible says he used his hands, not his words. 
And you would think that God would look around for something awesome. The Bible says that he just looked around, saw some dirt. And out of the dirt of the ground formed Adam. He didn't need anything at all. And he created them, which the word creation doesn't mean, let me take something really cool and make it even cooler. Let me make some really, take something really good and make it awesome. No, it's let me take nothing and make it something. So if you want to be the best you've ever been, if you want to live your best life, guess what you have to give God to work with? Nothing but faith. And God can make something of it. So the Bible says he created Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve, Eve we all know the story. They were, they were, they, they sinned. Before they sinned, Genesis 2.25 says, now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Genesis 3.7, after sin. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Wait a minute, they were, no clothes felt no shame. No clothes felt no shame. Sin brought up the fact I should have clothes on. The first act of their sin was not, this is who I am. It was, girl, we ain't got no clothes on. There's something off about us. They didn't go to God. They started to try to address their own issue. And the Bible says they felt shame in Genesis 3, 7. At that moment, their eyes are open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. That's self-righteousness. But in Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. They had already made something to cover their shame. And God says, no, you don't get to cover your shame. I'll cover your shame. And here's what's crazy about this. The devil actually used the truth to get them to sin. Did God really say he just knows you'll be like them? Well, the whole thing, let us make man in our image that they may be like us. Let us make man in our image that they may be like us. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. God wants to cover you today. God wants to cover someone today. And there's these beautiful scriptures in the Bible that talks about God covering his believers after they believe in Jesus with robes of righteousness. And there's other scriptures that says love covers a multitude of sin. So by the way, for Christians, we want to be covered with robes of righteousness. For culture, they want to be covered with robes of love. And when the robes of love cover them and they feel covered, then they'll come to the Lord and then it's time to cover them with robes of righteousness. He takes off the robe. When the prodigal son came back, the first thing the dad did was give him a robe. He covered him because he came back without clothes and he gave them the king's robe. Would you, oh my God, would you give somebody the robe you thought you've earned? Somebody comes in church, they're broken, they're messed up. Would you get out of the seat you always sit in? This is why we don't have staff signs on the front. I took them down. Staff ain't nobody. Why they got reserved seating? If we're going to have reserved seating, the Bible says homeless person right here, drunk right here, addict right here. Not me. Not my wife, not my, now we don't reserve seats for, and I'm not saying that reserving seats is bad, but the more famous you are, the less we're going to make. Yeah. 
That's not what the Bible says to do. Now, if it's a security issue, yeah, we're going to get you a seat off to the side. But we don't have celebrity seating. Because some people that are celebrities on earth are unknown in heaven. And some, man, one day people will go to God, away from me, I didn't know you. I want to be known by God, not known by the public. And so I want to challenge us today that God wants to give you a free gift of righteousness and do everything in your power to battle against self-righteousness, which means two things, and I'll leave you with this. I want to fix myself or I want to fix someone else are the biggest signs of self-righteousness. Right now, I'm mad at me or I'm mad at them is the biggest signs of self-righteousness. Will you forgive whoever it is? If it's Trump, forgive Trump. If it's Biden, forgive. I'm so tired of hearing about people posting about, this is the most demonic time in our era. Come on, man. Stop it. Stop. I'll take Biden over Nebuchadnezzar any day of the week. I'll take Trump over Pharaoh any day of the week. Have you not read your Bible? They killed every baby under two when Christ was born. Have you not read your Bible? Get that mess out of here. This is a time of God's favor. I know you think everybody's dying and everything's dangerous. I know you can't get eggs. I wish you could make that omelet. But I'm telling you right now, it's a season of God's favor. Do we have the faith to pronounce that over our situation and say it doesn't matter what I read in the news. It doesn't matter what the interest rates are. If God says I'm going to buy a house, I'm buying a house. This is the type of faith we have to have. We don't let that stuff instruct who we are. And I want to speak that over somebody. If God says you're righteous, I know you're trifling and you know you're trifling. But what trumps that is God said you're righteous because you believe. So I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to separate this room into two different groups. The janky people and the people that are doing pretty good. Nobody's perfect. So we're going to separate this room into two different things. And we're going we're gonna to say, we're going to handle this right now. There's going to be the janky people, and nobody's perfect, and the people are doing pretty good. You know who I'm talking to. You might not be janky. You're doing pretty good. You got your act together. But for the rest of y'all, you know you're janky. So I want you to understand this for all the janky people. This is so important you get this. You will not try to fix yourself. Give God nothing so he can be creative. Nothing but your faith. So if you are janky in this room, I just need you to do one thing. Please, please, if God tells you something, believe. Because you need faith to be righteous. He's going to tell you some impossible things, how he's going to use you in ministry, how he's going to use you in the entertainment industry, how he's going to use you in the church, how he's going to use you. And you're going to be tempted to not believe it because you know you're janky. But God needs you to believe. So if you are living unrighteous, don't you dare not believe God. And if you are doing okay, if you're doing okay, I want you to pick one person or group of people, whether it's conservatives or Democrats or these people, that people, and I want you to say to yourself right now, Lord, I'm no better than them. It might be your husband or your wife. Lord, I'm no better than them. Take the person you've been most irritated with in this last three years and say quietly to yourself, I want you to close your eyes. You got to do it right now. Because if you leave in here, that, 
the demon gonna jump right on your back and make you self-righteous. You gonna give a demon a piggyback ride to the parking lot if you don't give it. That's what we do. We come to church and then we give demons piggyback rides to the parking lot. They go right home with you. If you're janky, say, Lord, I will believe everything you tell me. I believe your word. I believe you. And if you feel like you're doing okay, say, I'm no better than them. Just leave here with that humility. Lord, I'm going to rely on you and I'm going to believe what you say. And Lord, I'm going to stop villainizing other people to make myself feel better about where I'm at. And we can do those two things as a community. We will really be made for this. I feel this word so strong. Come on, can somebody give God a great big hand clap and a shot of praise? Come on, give God some praise. All right. So real quick, this is pretty cool. Righteousness is a free gift. And so you have the opportunity to receive that right now. You can literally just raise your hand and say, hey, I'm not my sin. I'm a child of God. I, I'm, I'm, I want to follow Jesus. I want to believe that God sent Jesus to die for my sin. I don't want to rebuild it. I want to get rid of it all through faith in Jesus. And so if you want to give your life to the Lord right now and follow him and receive this free gift of righteousness. And what's cool about it is out of relationship, God teaches you, instructs you, and corrects you. But right now, he just wants to tell that picture that you think is ugly. That picture is awesome. And so if that's you and you want to receive Jesus, I want you to lift your hands right now. If you want to accept Jesus right now, lift your hands. I see your hand in the back, my brother. That's so awesome. See your hands going up. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Let's say this prayer together. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. And thank you that from this day forward, I am a follower of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, have a seat real quick. We want to have a couple more moments. With my brother Roger Neal. Come on, have a seat and give it up for my brother Roger Neal. Love this man. Can you hear me now? Oh, there we go. Hey. Pastor and Christine, can we just please give them a big happy anniversary? Come on. Can we do that? Uh, we've got a pastor in this church that uh, believes to bring the word that God gives him to bring. And he doesn't care who he offends and he doesn't care uh, who it hits because if it hits you, you got to move up. Amen. We all have to move up. None of us are perfect. I love this message today. Be an encourager, not a discourager. Amen. And can we uh, just give God praise for the ones who accepted Christ this morning? Hey, there are some people that missed hell this morning because they accepted Christ. I think that's awesome. Amen. We ought to be on our feet, not on our back ends when somebody gives their heart to Christ. Amen. Praise God. Hey, I'm so excited about giving. I love to give. And uh, I'm on Venmo. I do Venmo, right? I got a Venmo credit card. I pay people by Venmo. So if I can do it, I know you can do it. And that's one of the new ways you can give in, in, into the church is you can use Venmo. Uh, there's a QR code, right? There it is. Do the thing and give the money, right? Right? Come on. Uh, all I can tell you about giving is this. Uh, how it works for me 
is when I give to God, he gives back to me. It's financial, but not always financial. It could be uh, spiritual. It could be safety for my children, safety for my family. It could be that promotion of that job. Uh, I'm a hilarious giver because the more I make, the more I love to give. Amen. And if you have never given, never sowed or given a tithe, Trust God today to do that, because I promise you, if you give him, as Julian says many times, if you give him three months, give God three months and try it, you'll be more blessed then than you are today. And I'm living, breathing proof that if you give, you tithe, you sow in, it's got to be into good ground, by the way, because it does you no good. You know, if I have $100 in my hand and that's, I keep it in my hand, that's all I'm ever going to have. But if I release it into God's kingdom, it multiplies. It multiplies, and this church does a great work and touches many people. I know when you get to heaven one day, somebody may come up to you and say, thank you for what you did because it changed my life, and I'm here because of that seed that you sowed. Amen? Let's say a prayer over this offering. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We ask to put on the hearts of the people what to give today. Bless those that have to give and those that don't have to give. And Lord, we love you. We ask you to multiply every seed that's sown into this house so that we can continue to take your word throughout the world. We'll never fail to give you thanks and praise for it all. We ask it in your blessed holy name. Amen. Hey, as Pastor Julian loves to say, we love you. Thank you so much for coming. And we'll see you next week.